You received a call from an inmate at the Department of Corrections. This call will be recorded and monitored. If you wish to block any future calls of this nature, dial 7 now. To accept this call, press 5 now. To decline this call, hang up. Well, hello there, Miss Tamara. How are you today? Oh my goodness, that's fantastic news. So you won your case. Ah, uh, yeah, I've been hearing a lot about that. The state of Washington, they've really, really been doing a bad job. And, and I'm glad people are, are winning cases. But, you know, with all that money being dished out, we need we need more than that. Ah, oh, that's good. That's good. I mean, I, I can imagine people going through all this pain and suffering and then going out and buying a big house and a car and a yacht and all that stuff with their millions. And then... You know, it just, it, it, it helps them. It eases them for a little while, but uh, there's still other people out there fighting. It would be great to do what you're doing. This, this set up maybe what, like a foundation or something? Ah, good. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, well, you know, last time I talked to you, you were just a, a poor little lost soul, but now you're a millionaire. So that, that's certainly... <laughs> That's certainly a little bit of progress. It's just the shame that you had to go through so much to to get it. And it's nowhere near compensation for what you went through. I, I don't know. I don't know. I I would like to agree with you. I'd like to say that the DOC is going to do better. And I know there's a few things they're, they're attempting. But it's one of those agencies that out of sight, out of mind. Nobody's really paying attention to it because I don't know if it's deliberate that they're keeping them out of the news or if it's just something that there's more pressing things going on in the world. But we with with things like this getting broadcast and showing that the, the DOC isn't this perfect little organization. For me, if jurors and judges in the justice system, if they decide that it's not worth it to send somebody who has an illness to prison just to do an alternative prison source or alternative sentencing, and uh, maybe if they cut back on some of the funding and, and reduce some of these prisons out here, we might not be so hard pressed to lock people up and then pretty much set them up for these big lawsuits. Yeah, my fiance's got terminal cancer. Terminal cancer. She's not going to live very long. And if they had discovered the cancer earlier, she most likely wouldn't have been in this problem. I mean, this mess because. A lot of the professionals during her trial were saying that you know, with with cancer, you you detect it early enough, you can you can get pretty good treatment. And they dropped the ball. They just did not do what they were supposed to do. And I I don't like to sway jurors or the, the justice system, but I think. You know, before a person goes back out for sentencing or before a judge does it or something, they got to be, be reminded that uh, the state doesn't have a very good record of taking care of people. And your case is a, is a perfect example. And if it's 
broadcast out there on a regular basis like I try to do on my, my YouTube channel. When people sit down and have to sentence them, they'll, they'll look at it. It's like, do we want this person to go into prison and you have 60 seconds remaining out in worse shape than they were, went in? Or do we want this person to go in prison and die? Just what is, what's the end result? And the young, healthy, strong people, if they need to serve 20 years, so be it. But don't, don't hurt them. Don't put them in a worse shape. And certainly don't get them to commit suicide, drug overdose, and all that kind of stuff. I, yes, I am. I am. I'm, I'm glad you're using your money. You have 30 seconds remaining. To help other folks and to uh, put into a defense fund for them. That, that's good. And, uh, and we need that. And I really wish you hadn't have gotten in such bad shape being in there. But, you know, every dark cloud has a silver lining and you're, you're looking into it. Okay, well, thanks for the call. And uh, congratulations on your win. And I, I wish you the best. I hope this will. Thank you for using inmate call. Goodbye. Hello, welcome to AQS Inmate Call, and I'm your host, Joel Wilborn. And in this episode, uh, just want to discuss one of the reasons that I became a prison advocate. And it, it deals with the treatment of people who are incarcerated. And prison advocates were not looking to keep violent criminals out of prison or to reduce the sentences of uh, people who are dangerous to society. Because there's, there's people out there who, who need to be in prison. They're just uh, unable to live in the community with the rest of us. Yet, all in all, a lot of the prisoners, no matter what they did to get incarcerated, they're receiving inhumane treatment. And it could be from prison officials or the sentencing process, medical staff, and I don't want the community to know that you can lock a person away and these people can be treated any way that the uh, facility feels necessary. There's certain laws certain policies and procedures that we have to follow and prison advocates were not out to make it easy on anybody we just want to make sure that everything is done legally and properly and people don't get harmed we don't want folks going to prison and never coming out or coming out in worse shape than they went in. And if you have somebody who is in prison, a loved one or a friend, 
and this person is talking to you and just relaying some horror stories in there and you try to bring attention to it and nobody pays attention to you and nobody cares and nobody wants to do anything to uh, help this person it can be frustrating especially if it happens all over the United States and nobody does anything about it it's just it's mushrooming it's getting worse and so uh, when I publish a story on my YouTube channel and somebody listens to it and contacts the person who was in the, in the story a lot of them say this is what we want get this information out there you can go on social media and, and join groups and chats and there's people that are just saying there's things that's going on in there and it and, and maybe somebody in this, the system does care they just feel that they're overwhelmed We need to we need to change that. We need to show folks that locking people up isn't the best solution to the problem. And when you have professionals out there who study this and talk to folks and look at history and and uh, look at resources. These people can figure out ways to get folks to leave prison and never go back. Because it's it's a lot more complicated than just putting a person in a cell and, and locking the cell. And once we get a system that works like they have overseas, there's a lot of European countries that do a good system and their prisons are, are practically empty. Because they know how to handle the folks over here. It's like a person does something wrong, we just got to lock them up. But if we got people out there that's looking at these other programs, and looking at alternative ways to uh, sentence, we can really make a difference. Because we've been locking people up for millions of years. And... What good does it do? You know, the, how, how often do you see people get out of prison and say, well, because I was locked up, I'm not going to do it again. There's those of us that commit a crime, go to prison, and then never, never go back. And then there's those that are just, they just feel lost. And it doesn't necessarily mean they are lost. They just feel that way. And I would really like to help people who have a good heart. They want to do right. But it's just all the odds are stacked against them. Let's find ways to help them. And many of them are reaching out. I mean, they're starting to put parents on trial for the crimes of their children and we've got some people that blame the gun which I think is about the dumbest thing anybody could do but they do it the gun is the problem not the person so when you're putting these parents on trial which to me makes more sense than putting a gun on trial 
It shows that the parents have a responsibility. But also the community has a responsibility too. We should be teaching people good safe ways to live in school. We should have resources. Maybe the library could have a, a, a weekly program where teenagers in the community, if they're feeling a little confused, maybe they got caught up in sextortion, maybe they're part of bullying at the school, or maybe they got in trouble because of a fight or bringing an unauthorized item onto the, the school property. And the parents aren't really giving them the support they're looking for, and, and they don't know who to reach out to. Maybe they should be able to go to this program at the library and talk to some professionals who could who would sit and listen to them for free. You know, just sit down, tell me what your problem is, and then offer some resources. We can get you into a, a counseling session. We can get you into a, an intern program. Maybe they can go out into the community with some law enforcement people and, and listen to some of the, the issues that, that are out there and sit back and, and try to brainstorm ways to uh, fix it. If they're a part of the, the solution, if they're a part of something that's going to work to try to end it, they'll feel a little more important and it gives them a deeper understanding. A lot of the folks out there just don't know. They're, they're, it's like living in a two-dimensional world. There's a part that's just missing. It's there. They're in a two-dimensional world. They'll look forward and left and right, but they don't look up. And so they'll look up and like, oh, there's my answer. And so we've got these people that are getting locked up and they're, it, it, it's more like they're not seeing what's out there to help them. And we want to give them an option that they feel that's not there. And so let's, uh, let's band together. Let's listen to folks. Let's offer suggestions. Let's try to find a way to help people in crime in a permanent way. We don't just want to put a little band-aid on it. We want to fix it up. And people going into prison, picking up cancer, uh, breaking bones, um, maybe getting into a deep depression or a lot of uh, mental issues. If, if we give them the services that they need and make that a standard thing and, and enforce it like an oversight or something that looks at them then uh, we could we could really make a difference and putting these parents on trial showing them that they are responsible for keeping up with the kids because the way this looks is the, kid, the, the parents should have noticed the things that were going on with their children should have listened to them, taken more time. And I would like very much to concentrate on families. I think families are a huge part. And here lately, instead of working with families to try to 
to get these people away from their criminal activity if we if we look at that and say talking to a brother talking to their parents talking to a mentor makes a difference and I've seen that happen you know maybe they won't block phone calls and block e-messages or block visits I don't see that as a punishment I just see it as like taking medicine away and you know if your child has asthma and let's say breaks curfew and you say that's it you're not getting your inhaler or we're not going to talk to you or you don't get dinner or maybe not necessarily dinner but you don't get a meal for the week how how is that going to make this person feel any better how would you feel if you made a mistake you realize you made a mistake you 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 felt the repercussions of it and then somebody said okay just for that you're not going to get the necessary treatment that you need to get through the day we're going to take something away that's important to you take away the sunshine take away some oxygen and when i find out that a, a phone was blocked and people can't call me i'm thinking this is punishment but with a with a child not being able to use the internet not being able to watch tv not being able to go out to a movie with friends or not being able to attend a sleepover that's things that the child said you know i i did something wrong and this is my punishment i understand that and that makes sense cuz you got to understand the punishment but locking a person in a room and just letting this person out for 30 minutes a day that's not going to mentally help the person and yeah it's punishment but it has a long-term effect it may create more and i i am so against that i i i think phone calls should all be free when a cross-rated person wants to call the family and it could just be like right now i'm feeling bad but if the family can't afford it this person is sitting in the cell and i i get a lot of folks that contact me and say i'm just bored i i i'm lonely i don't have anybody to talk to Could you help me find some pen pals and I'll post things out there so I'll try to get them some a lot of times they'll they'll get them and I like that of course I spend a lot of time posting things but the results are good and just being out there some folks don't get as much response but others they do and they get a chance to pick up a pen pal or somebody to talk to on the phone but they had the facility just block that after all of this and then make the other people pay for it Yeah, I I think cuz I I do know a situation like that where I drove all the way out to visit my friend and the uh, prison officials told me that my visitation was uh, terminated and wouldn't tell me why. And then uh when I sent in a letter I had to drive all the way back home 300 miles. And uh They were telling me that uh it was because I had violated some policy or something which had nothing to do with the visitation it was just another 
policy. And I thought, you know, what's that got to do with visitation? The, the, the visitation policy lists what you do to have it terminated. It doesn't say if you violate other policies or if you violate laws or something. Everything is specifically listed in the visitation policy. And if you violate those, then they can terminate them or they can they could, uh, suspend them. And so I appealed this. And what I found out is they were telling me that it was the incarcerated person's job to tell me that my visitation had been terminated and not to make that drive out there because I was asking for compensation. And I thought, well, if this person is restricted from talking to anybody, and at that time she was restricted from calling, how am I supposed to know? And they changed the policy that the officials have to contact the person. If the visitation is terminated, they would send out a letter or make a call or something. And uh, it was not the responsibility of the, of the incarcerated person. So when we put these, these uh, rules on the person, it allows for abuse. And it also allows for confusion. Because if the incarcerated person believes, I'm allowed to do this. And so I'm going to tell my loved ones we can do this thing or something like maybe you can send me makeup. And if the loved one sends the makeup and then the officials say, I don't know, we're, we're, we're uh, compensating this. This is contraband and, and terminates the phone calls, let's say. The loved one could say, but according to the policy, it's my loved one's responsibility to tell me what I can and cannot send. Now, why in the world would a Department of Corrections facility do something like that? The, there should be no responsibility whatsoever on, on the policy that comes from the incarcerated person. That should be 100% between the one who's on the outside, the loved one, and the prison officials. If I want to send makeup to my loved one, I should be able to contact the prison officials and ask, can I send makeup to this person? And if the prison official says yes and I send it and it gets confiscated, then I'll have something to fall back on. But if I fall back on the, the incarcerated person, they can immediately say, say no. And the incarcerated person knew that. They've got all of these books and they, they understand the policy, but that's not always the case. But that's the excuse that they use. So why do that? Why put that person on there? They're not being paid to pass out policy. They're not being paid to do an official's job. The officials should be relating all the policy and procedure to the public. I can go online to the Washington Department of Corrections website and I can read every policy. They don't follow their policy, but I can read them and I can quote them and I could send letters that reference them and show that what you said I did had nothing whatsoever to do with the visitation. And that's one of the ways that I could win appeals. And here lately I've been winning appeals because simply they're not following policy. But when you throw in an, an inmate, the inmates can't be a part of the appeal process. You know, if I'm late, writing a letter and said, well, I, I was told by the uh, my, my loved one that I could send this makeup, and then you were telling me that 
not, I can't have this inmate testify in my favor and say, yeah, that's what I was told by a correctional officer. Well, that's what one of my cellmates told me. And then, you know, kind of have this little third-party trial or something where we could, like, mediation, where we can get it resolved. That doesn't happen. And it causes stress on the outside. It causes stress on the inside of the prison. It's just not worth it. So a prison advocate, we want to say, if this is in your policy, you need to follow it. And now with the the visitation, if uh, I go out there for a visit and they terminate it, and I'll say, why wasn't I notified? According to the policy, it's the official is supposed to tell me. So if I'm on a visitation list and it gets terminated, I should get a letter on this date your visitation was terminated and this is why and if you want to appeal it you can that's great don't put that on the incarcerated person and that's one of the reasons I can't visit in the state of Washington is because their policies weren't followed and for me to Fight it, they're just constantly saying, Oh, you just did this and this and this. But I didn't the one the one policy that determines whether or not my visitation gets canceled wasn't violated. I, I've looked over that right and left. I had other people look over it and I've even asked them about it. I did not violate that policy. They told me about it. They had a whole completely different policy. And even then it's more like, well, it has its things it has its procedure to follow but they're not following it on that policy so they're using a uh, let's say a punishment for a policy that has nothing whatsoever to do with visitation so it just gets kind of weird and confusing but it, it shows how they just like to muscle themselves around we out here aren't prisoners we are not under their control we just rely on them to follow policy and policy also with like with my fiance if they had followed policy if they would actually read their own policy she most likely wouldn't have picked up terminal cancer we don't know when she's going to leave this planet and yeah now she's won millions but what's going to happen with her what's it what's it do for her if she passes away in a year that money didn't stop her from dying following policy would stop her from dying and prison advocate monitors that and right now I'm in a position where there's really not too much they can do to me so I can I can actually challenge them on a whole lot of stuff and they've been rejecting letters and pictures and phone calls and I can come back and say well what happened and then the appeal works even one case I was talking to uh, Gregory Brown sent him letters they rejected him he appealed and they allowed the letters to go through to him and we were just going to get into the process where we were going to they would reject it and we keep sending the same letters which followed policy and headquarters saw that the facility for some odd reason didn't maybe because he's broadcasting on this podcast maybe that's why they blocked him which is I'm leaning toward, but I don't know until I hear it. 
you know, I'm not going to make assumptions. And being a prison advocate gives a voice to the people who are locked up. And it helps us to reduce recidivism. And what we want is a safer community. We, want, uh, we don't necessarily want singing, joyous, happy, incarcerated people. But if they need medical attention, they should get it. If they need to talk to their family and friends, they should. And visitation shouldn't be something they should be tossing around like it's a, you know, a a privilege that uh, maybe sitting in the day room watching the sports game. Like you, you violated our policy, you have to stay in your cell. That I can understand, but to stop a person from, you know, a man from visiting his wife when probably the happiest moment of the week is when she comes walking in and he gets to hug her and says, I miss you so much. I'm glad you're here. He can, he can touch her. He can smell her. He can look into her eyes. You know, things we take for granted is just, it's compounded with the visit. And they're just ripping that away because of a bad choice in there. Take away cable. Take away dessert at dinner or maybe if they have birthday celebrations you know this year you can't have a birthday celebration because you smuggled drugs into this facility I don't know there's better ways to do it I think well I hope you go out I hope you talk and listen and make contributions and anybody who has a loved one in there read those policies and use them to your advantage most of these problems are caused by them not following policy. Pure and simple. Well, have yourself a magnificent day and make fantastic memories for tomorrow.